Today's scripture is from John 15, verses 4 through 11, from the New International Version. Remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Tricia. Arches National Park lies in the high desert country of southeastern Utah, and it lies in one of the counties of Utah, San Juan County. San Juan County is immense. Um, in that county is not just Arches National Park, which is, by the way, quite small, but also, as you head south, the Canyonlands um, National Park and a relatively new wilderness area, the canyons of the Escalante. And then just south of the Escalante and, and San Juan County is the immensity of Monument Valley uh, in the Navajo Four Corners area. The whole area is high country desert, and it's magnificent rock formations like we read about in the guide with those bands of different colors, red, brown, yellows, um, and in the sunlight, are just magnificent uh, colors. And these formations created by wind and by water are just truly awesome. The arches is special as we read the different arches. Um, and you can see these towering stone bridges. It's not the only place though where there are these arches. Uh, there are some arches in Canyonlands. Now I haven't hiked arches, but I have hiked Canyonlands National Park uh, and into the Escalante. And I've been through the Monument Valley in the Navajo country. As I said, Canyonlands, like Arches, has bridges also. And when you come across one of these, you just stop and stare. It, it, it's like some giant has, has been playing um, and building, building things. They just look out of place. And the only way to describe it uh, for me is that it seems to connect two places in the sky. They're like huge bridges built between invisible places. The high desert is a strange place. There's silence, a deep silence. You can hear your own footsteps. 
There's a great simplicity there. Where, where life is hard, things tend to get bare and simple. There are a few trees, and there's a few bushes, and there are strange connections, like those huge rock bridges that connect space to space. And as you first move into the land, it, it looks the same all around you until you start working deeper into the back country, deeper into the silence. And then you begin to notice the little things, the silence broken by the scurrying of a little lizard, those bands of different red colors moving through the rock as the sun moves through the sky, sometimes a soft wind coming through the scrub. And when you least expect it, you turn a corner, look up on a rock, and there you see a petroglyph. It's a clan sign. The one I would see often back there was of an antelope. And it would be left hundreds or even thousands of years ago by one of the indigenous, the mark of another human being, of a momentary connection with something that was hundreds or thousands of years ago and someone who, who walked just where you're walking. In the desert, you depend on water. Everything that can live depends on water and on finding it. Now, some time ago, years ago, I was hiking in uh, southeastern Colorado up in the high desert country, and uh, right in the middle of the trail that we were on was an old-fashioned, like, farmer's pump, and we stopped for our water, we pumped the water, and it was from deep down, it was cold and wet and just wonderful. Now, that pump didn't have to be primed. And a word for folks who maybe heard the phrase priming a pump but didn't know what it means. Many of these pumps are into wells, um, the hand crank pumps. Before you use them, you've got to pour some water into their barrel. That's priming the pump. Because without that water, it will not create the suction to bring the water up from below. So priming the pump is what you need to do to get it to work at all. And that brought to mind a very old and well-known story of the desert. It was a story of, of a man who needed water badly. He'd run out of water. He's hiking along in the high desert, and he comes across a pump, just like the one I did. Only the difference here was that pump had to be primed. And next to the pump was a jar of water and a note. And the note said, Stranger, this pump needs to be primed. And what you've got to do with this jug of water is pour it into the barrel of the pump to prime it. Don't drink any of this water because the pump needs all of this water to give you water. Now, I know you'll want to drink it because you're thirsty, but don't do that. You've got to have faith. And the story goes on that our man looks at that jar of water and he's very, very thirsty. And see, the problem is if he pours the water down his throat, there'll be no water coming out of that pump. And while he might be okay to move on, the people coming behind him won't be. So he takes the water, pours it down the barrel, 
and the pump works just fine, and he has all the water he can want or need. And the note also said, remember to fill this jar when you're done to leave it for the next one. And he does that. Connections are strange in the desert. That's a story of connections, of people who are connected in life without ever seeing one another because of what they do for each other. We human beings are made to connect. We're made to connect with each other. It should be painfully obvious, even for those of us who are somewhat introverted, because we find out we need other people. When we go to the stores, or we go to school, or we go to work, or we do what I'm doing here, and I depend on other people so that this can come to you. One thing this COVID pandemic has taught us is that we are interconnected. We are dependent on each other. And in many ways that maybe we hadn't thought about before, just how important that person is at the grocery store who stocks the shelves and checks us out. How important the people are who take away our trash. How important the people are who work in the hospitals and in the laboratories and, and even out onto the streets to do those testing places for us. We're all connected. And also the connection can cause harm. This disease is passed on by being connected, by not being careful and not being considered to the other person and wearing that mask. Um, we can wind up connected in ways we, we really shouldn't be. And for those of us who claim to be Christians, that connection is commanded of us. Paul spells that out in Galatians. In that letter to the Galatians, he says, bear one another's burdens and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ is to love, to love one another. And we love one another by bearing each other's burdens. And what is this but really a command to stay connected, to stay aware of each other and of each other's needs? And we're made, too, to connect to our surroundings. And this, too, should be obvious. If you've ever enjoyed a walk in the sun or a hike in the wilderness or a trip to the zoo or even a trip into your own garden or even into your own study or living room, you know what it is to be connected to where you are. If you've ever come home from a long trip and found yourself sinking blissfully into your own bed, you know what it means to be connected to a place. Of course, sometimes we can get bored in our surroundings, and particularly so today with this enforced isolation. Boring can come quickly. But even being bored is to make a connection. And we're made to connect with ourselves. This isn't as obvious as connecting with other people or with places, but it's true. To live in this world fully, to our full potential, we need to learn about ourselves our strengths, and our limits. Of course, we need to help in learning. We need help to learn those things, and that's where other people can be so important to us. But we need to connect with ourselves. We need to be in our bodies. We, we need to be aware of who we are, where we are, and what we're doing to ourselves and to other people. 
Finally, we're made to connect with God. That's the big lesson of our lives. It's a lesson we learn from Scripture. And that's the real tragedy of a separation from God. The separation from God is what we call sin, a turning away. And no matter how it happens, or where, or when, or how often, that turning away, that sin, winds up feeling badly. And the real glory of the story of salvation is that Jesus Christ gives us a way to reconnect with God, to take away our sin, to be with Him, and through Him, God. It's what our scripture tells us today, that this connection with God is deep and personal, and how Jesus Christ makes that connection. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you will ask whatever you desire and it shall be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I've spoken these things to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. And these words spoken to the apostles are also spoken to us. They're words of deep connection. And how deep and how intimate we have the analogy that Christ gives us in this passage, that of a vine and its many branches. Remain in me as I also remain in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine. Neither can you unless you remain in me. Unless the vine is connected, unless we are connected. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Connection, deep, personal. Now, of course, there's a downside to having all these connections in our lives. The most obvious is that we can screw up and make the wrong connections. We can wind up connecting with the wrong people or being in the wrong places at the wrong time. We can wind up in jobs that really suck our lives out of us, that turn us into something that's impersonal, or maybe turn us into temptation of doing things that really aren't right. We can wind up in circumstances that hem us in, frustrate us, make us angry. In other words, we can wind up choosing the types of connections that don't help us, but instead lead us away from God and from good people and from even ourselves. And there's a deeper danger, and it's one that, that plagues our society. We can tell ourselves that we don't need connections, that we don't need to be linked or dependent upon other people. We can sell ourselves on the false claim that we are really independent entities. We can do it alone. We can choose um, to be alone. It's one of the great myths we've been sold, in particular for us men, that there's some kind of strength in being a loner, that the strong independent man is somehow the ideal, more manly, um, 
It's the John Wayne mentality. And it's done so much damage. It's a sense of not needing help, not needing anyone else, unless it's another tough guy that you're buddies with, that anything else is weak. It's done so much harm. It promotes an attitude of the self-made man. And I'm speaking now, you know, largely to our men here, for I've seen that and experienced most of that with men, although I'm sure women will have the same, perhaps be able to relate to some of this as well. If I can make it, says the self-made man, then anyone can, no matter where you're coming from and no matter what the color of your skin is, it's this attitude, this myth, and it's a myth that's at the root of much of our failure to connect as a country with our racism and with white privilege. If you start from the proposition that you're not a racist and add to it that we live in a neutral society, i.e. one that's not racist, that everyone is really treated the same and has the same opportunity, then it would make perfect sense to tell yourself that you're not racist, and if anyone has a complaint, it's because they didn't work hard enough. If I can say that you, whoever you might be, can make it on your own, then I will escape any responsibility for taking any burdens off your shoulders. It's the voice that says, I had it tough coming up, and you should also. It's what Rev Reverend David Swanson calls free will individualism. And these are people, his words, but a good description, people who display a type of American individualism that downplays the importance of institutions while raising the importance of personal accountability. For free will individuals, people are free to make decisions for themselves that they as individuals will then be held accountable for. Now, if I adopt that attitude wholeheartedly, I can create permission for myself to turn a blind eye to the burdens that you carry. Let me give an example. My grandfather, and it's only three generations ago, uh, his father and mother came over from Ireland. And my grandmother, uh, she came directly from Ireland. And when the Irish came over, they were locked out of a lot of jobs and opportunities. Uh, they wound up at the lower levels. My grandmother cleaned houses. She was a maid. My grandfather wound up as a uh, teamster, that is, dealing with the horses and carriages of, of uh, the trolley cars. And yet, they were able to get good jobs, finally. They were able to have their children, and their children, my dad, go to college, go to law school. And my dad then was able to pay my way and the way of all my brothers and my sister to college. And we've been successful. And there's a temptation to say, Grandma and Grandpa made it, and they gave us the opportunities, and then we took them, and we made it, and we're very successful. Anybody can do it. This is an attitude that is dangerous in that it can separate us from any responsibility we might have as members of a society that worships power and has no hesitation in using violence against others to keep and expand that power. With this attitude, this um, free will individualism, one 
To get ahead, one need only work harder. Institutions are neutral, and it's the individual's responsibility to succeed. This, of course, is just not true. Institutions are not neutral. They're human-made things, and all of our institutions, and I'll include the church in this as well, because they're made by human beings, are fallible. And while they may be capable of great good, they're never neutral. And our country is not a neutral society. How you do in this country can be very much dependent on where you start. I was blessed to start with a family that had the opportunities given to them to give me that start, that head start, among others. If I'd been born in a poor area of southern Pennsylvania, uh, in a coal mining area that no longer does coal, whose father may have died when I was 14 from black lung disease, who never saw a dentist, my life would have been a lot different and there would have been very little I could do about it. We are connected to each other. And no matter where you wind up in life, connecting with others, whether you realize it or not, is what got you to where you are today, no matter who you are. No one does it alone. No one can. Nor are we meant to. But then how do we get this strength to connect? How do we get this strength to be self-aware and connecting with ourselves to realize how we may have been favored or disfavored in our lives? How is it that we get the strength to take that out into the world and into our place of connection? How do we take that into a world that desperately needs us to connect? How do we get the humility to allow others to connect with us, to share our burdens? For many of us who, who are imbued with this view of helping others, it can be very hard to ask for help. We need to do that. That's a connection too. Our scripture reading. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. There's no um, independence there. There's none of that free will individualism. Paul put it this way in his second letter to the Corinthians. Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who com comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble by the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. We can look to God for that connection and getting it, we will look to others. Between this COVID pandemic and its enforced isolation, the social unrest in confronting our nation's racism, and the facing of a national election that generates ugly words and signs and ugly gestures, more than ever, we need to connect. We need to connect with each other, with the world, and to ourselves, and to God. Let me close with a prayer of connection. It's a prayer I took from the Virginia Annual Conference website. Let me give you that uh, website because it's an important one. It's very simple. If you go to vaumc.org, 
and then reconciliation. Or if you just Google Virginia United Methodist Church, it will come up with that website, go to it and click on the page for reconciliation. There's a lot of good tools there for helping us work through some of these issues, particularly around racism and, and our social responsibilities. VAUMC.org, reconciliation. You'll find this prayer. Oh, loving God, we give you thanks for creating the world which is full of diversity and for making one human family of all the peoples of the earth. You reign over all the nations and are seated on your holy throne. You rule over all the peoples without partiality in respect to nations or races, because righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Forgive us for the times when we put walls around us with false pride and racial prejudice. Forgive us for the times when we were silent in the face of racism, private or institutional. Open our eyes to see Christ who is in people of every nation and every culture. Break down the walls that separate us. Set us free from fear, hatred, and racism. Bind us together with the unity of God's love. Restore oneness to the family of God. We pray in the name of Jesus who came, lived, and died for all humanity. Amen.